0: Does a youth leader ever feel like they have not figured out? This hasn't been my experience. However, I couldn't be an effective youth leader today without Dan Duckworth's presentation about going from youth worker to youth mentor. Mentorship is a key concept to understand when leading youth. In his presentation, Dan talks about ways to really turn the traditional approach to leading youth on its head. How can you better know your purpose? How can you find out their life goals? How can you build a relationship that is transformational rather than simply filling time during the weekly youth activity? You can watch Dan's presentation in the Young Saints Virtual Library by going to leadingsaints.org 14. You'll get free access for 14 days and that will give you plenty of time to watch Dan's presentation a few times. Let's give youth the leadership they deserve. my name is Kurt Francom and I am the founder and executive director of Leading Saints and obviously the host of the Leading Saints podcast. Now I started Leading Saints back in 2010. It was just a hobby blog and it grew from there. By the time uh, 2014 came around, we started the podcast and that's really when it got some uh, traction and took off. Uh, 2016, we became a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we've been growing ever since. And now I get the opportunity of interviewing and talking with remarkable people all over the world. Now, this is a segment we do on the Leading Saints podcast called how I lead. And we reach out to everyday leaders. They're not experts, gurus, authors, PhDs. They're just everyday leaders who've been asked to serve in a specific leadership calling. And we simply ask them, how is it that you lead? And they go through some remarkable principles that should be in a book that should be behind a PhD. They're usually that good. And uh, we just talk about uh, sharing what the other guy is doing. And I remember being a leader, just simply wanting to know okay, I know what I'm trying to do, but what's the other guy doing? What's working for him? And so that's why every Wednesday or so, we publish these How I Lead segments to share. Megan Patterson, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast.
1: Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here.
0: Nice. Now, you, we got to throw your dad under the bus real quick, because he is the one that lined this up and threw you into the lion's den here. And uh, But uh, you were quite willing to at least talk about your experience as a Relief Society president, right? I mean, any, any shout out to your dad that he needs?
1: For sure. I just, <laughs> I love my dad. Dads just tend to know their daughters very, very well. And um, my dad is... Definitely my favorite favorite human, Um, and so I (laughs) was shocked that he, you know, uh, recommended me for your podcast, and also very humbled by it. So I'm very excited for this opportunity.
0: Well, I'm sure anything of wisdom you say, he'll claim that he taught you that. But
1: uh, (laughs) (laughs) no, he's too (laughs) humble for that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I see. Cool. Well, uh, and you've so you're currently in Southern California. You're in school. What are you studying?
1: Uh, Fashion design oh that's cool Um, yeah it's really uh, really fun
0: nice and then um is that like a graduate program or
1: uh it's a bachelor's program so it's an undergrad um great uh, it's uh, a very um it's a it's a wonderful school um it's FIDM or the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising here in LA and so it's like
0: well respected
1: very well respected and very well connected so I'm Blessed to be here for sure. and awesome. I wouldn't Love be it. here without either of my parents. so I'm very
0: nice. they they've always been encouraging
1: always been encouraging, super supportive in everything and anything that I do.
0: So. yeah, and uh, you are you fit you fit in the demographic of young single adult, is that right?
1: Probably more mid-single adult, but yeah, okay. i single adult. <laughs>
0: oh, you don't look an age, a day over 19, Megan.
1: <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. I am almost 34, so. Oh, okay.
0: Nice. So, and you, you are born and raised in Utah, in, in Salt Lake Valley, right? And Correct. then, um, what is it, what has it been like going from being a YSA in Utah to being a YSA or a mid-single adult in, in California?
1: Oh, the transition was very, um, welcomed, uh, but also jarring, you know, um, Mm -hmm. single adult wards are, um, organized the same, but, um, definitely have different opportunities in a singles ward versus a family ward. Um, and one of the greatest opportunities I was looking forward to moving to a family ward was working with the youth of the church, specifically the young women. So, um, that is currently my calling. I'm a young awesome. woman first counselor and I love it.
0: That's great. Awesome. So when you moved to California, you didn't attend a single adult ward. You you went to the traditional, what do they call them, the geographic ward.
1: Correct. Yeah. And awesome. just went straight Very to cool. the where I, within my boundaries home ward.
0: So, yeah, Well, we're going to bounce around to some of your past callings that we had. I think it would be, uh, you know, anytime if there's a principle we talk about that you've been able to use uh, with the youth as well, I think it'd be worth highlighting, but uh, we'll talk about your time as a, a ward relief study president and a stake relief society president. And those were both in the, in the context of a, a YSA stake. Is that accurate?
1: Correct. Yes. In Utah. In Utah. Yes. Awesome.
0: Um, and I mean, was it? uh, Did you have much experience? with, I assume the Warderly study president calling came first.
1: Yes, it did come first. Um,
0: And was it like? I mean, had you had experience in that type of calling before?
1: So surprisingly, I've been reflecting a lot about my leadership over the past couple of weeks, and um, I actually got most of my leadership opportunities actually in the youth program before the youth was like, you know, structured the way it is now. I was Mm -hmm. always a class president at some point in you know the two years that you're you were a Beehive My Maid Laurel. I at some point was able to be a president. So I I'd had, you know, some leadership experience of like planning activities and um working with leaders and things like that. Um and actually I think where I finally started recognizing myself as a leader was actually um serving a mission. I served a mission in Zambia, Lusaka, which is in Wow. So, um, and it was a brand new mission when I was there. Uh, I think it had been formed in July and I was there in November. So it was, you know, we were working with a brand new mission president um, and it was quite a wonderful experience. We were just there. You probably had
0: to step up, right? I mean, all missionaries had to.
1: Yeah. And that was also, um, before the age change. And so I think there were at the time I was there, there, I was, I think I was like the seventh sister missionary in the whole mission. Um, and I was the second sister called from the, uh, like North America Hmm. continent. So.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow, And and so what, what were the like leadership dynamics that you felt like that Maybe we were outside your comfort zone in that context that uh, really stretched you?
1: Yeah, well, that's an excellent question. I really felt a lot of leadership within um, just the sisters. You know, I just felt like we all had to work together and um, build each other up. And um, I. Any interview that I actually had from my uh, mission president, he would always say, "If there was a leadership calling for the sisters, I would give it to you." And Mm -hmm. he's like, "I I just see that you lead," and I, I didn't, I didn't see that in myself, but, um, but I do. I've always loved inspiring people and um, bringing people together, and so I guess that was what he recognized. And right before. I was um released for my mission. Um my last transfer is when the church actually released the I always get the name mixed up because it's a really long name, but Sister Missionary Training Leaders, I think is what uh-huh. it is. Yeah. And um so I, I had that my last transfer for like three weeks. <laughs> but oh
0: wow. But your your mission president finally had a calling, a leadership yeah. calling.
1: He had a leadership calling to officially give me. So
0: that's great. That's cool. Yeah. Um What do you remember just about the calling of being? Is there a story behind when you were called as the as the ward relief society president?
1: Um. Not as the ward relief society president. I that one just came out of the blue. I wasn't expecting that one. But I was. There's a story behind me getting called as the stake relief society president. Let's um, hear it. So I was in the Relief Society Presidency, Sacred Relief Society Presidency Um, at the time that I was, um, it was just the, there were always married women that were the president, first counselor and second counselor, Mm -hmm. but um, they had recently started having a young single adult be the secretary. And so I was the secretary and, um, one of my best friends was on the relief society board. So we were just chatting one night talking about the relief society. And as we were saying goodbye, um, that night, I just, uh, she just jokingly said, um, we're going to be in the next stake relief society presidency. And I was like, yep, you'll be the president and I'll be the first counselor. And the spirit spoke to me and was like, no, you're going to be the president and she's going to be your first counselor. And I was like, okay, that was not expected. Cause it wasn't done at that time. Like I had no one, I had never heard of a young single adult being a stake relief society president. And so months went by, um, that was in January, February ish. And then, um, the end of summer was when, they were actually making a change in the presidency. And um, so we knew about it because there were some life changes going on. And um, I just knew that I would be the Stake Relief Society president, but the stake president didn't know that. And he um, had been praying and praying and praying and wasn't getting a clear answer. And we were having this activity for the stake and, Um, it was like an hour and a half drive and I wasn't feeling good and I didn't want to go, but I just kept feeling, you have to go to this activity. And I even like pulled over like twice being like, do I really have to go to this activity? I don't want to show up and, um, you know, just do the activity, you know, head home, didn't notice any, like there was no aha moment for me, but, um, the stake president later on told me that. He had asked Heavenly Father to show him that night who the Stake Relief say president would be, and um, I, I just felt that that was like really why Heavenly Father was directing me to to be there at that time. So it's kind of oh, that's cool. Funny how the Lord inspires us.
0: Yeah, and it's always encouraging uh, maybe to... It's maybe a little bit easier to say yes to those callings when you've sort of had that spiritual journey yourself, right?
1: Exactly. Yes, yeah. nice. I was definitely prepared months in advance for that calling.
0: Nice. Anything worth uh, mentioning as far as just getting going in these callings, uh, you know, as far as picking counselors or setting a vision or, you know, mm. establishing yourself in this role? Anything that comes to mind?
1: Well... Quite a few, actually. So, um, the first one that came to mind was actually when I was first called as a beehive class president. Um, I remember giving, getting the advice to take the names of the girls to the temple and specifically praying to ask who would be my my counselors. And, um, You know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, all these girls, but I remember getting distinct impressions on who were going to be my counselors. And it wasn't because they were my friends or they weren't my friends. It was just because that was who the Lord was calling. And I and so from that point on, that's how I always call my counselors is I, you know, I have a list of names and I just go to the temple and I make sure that I um, feel good about them before I present their names um, to be called. So,
0: and you learned that you said just as, as a young, at a young age, right? In those
1: 12 years old. That's cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think I I love how you keep reflecting back on those times as a youth, because these are opportunities to sort of establish those fundamentals, right? Like, you know, you've been asked to serve this, like maybe a prayerful process would be necessary, right? Like Take some names to the temple or, you know, pray over them or whatever it is and, and getting them in that mode.
1: Exactly. Yes. Um, so that's kind of what gets me going. And then the second one actually is I always feel that I'm a handbook relief society president, or I'm a Mm -hmm. handbook, uh, young woman president or Sunday school teacher or whatever, um, my calling is because, you know, we, we belong to an organized religion. And the handbook is actually the foundation of our organization. And I just feel like if you set your foundation, you can build any organization from that. Um, But it's really important to understand what that foundation is um, so that you can then build what Heavenly Father is asking you to build.
0: Yeah, and then what did that look like in application? Like, would, did you just make sure you were reading it often, or reading it with your counselors, or what did that look like in practice?
1: For sure, reading it often. Anytime I had any question for any issue that I had, I always went to the handbook first, um, and then in, um, of course, presidency meeting, we always at least read a paragraph or two, um, and we had a little training on every single presidency meeting. Um, we just kind of went from there. I really felt like if I understood what the handbook was saying, I could then teach that to other people, um, which was really what my mission was in my opinion, as a stake relief society president was to, to build up the ward relief society presidents, to give them the tools that they needed to be able to effectively serve their congregation. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah um this uh first principle that you sent uh that you noted is advice from your dad um <laughs> again they've always been encouraging and, and helping out so we'll give a little bit credit to him but it says let the elders serve you uh maybe unpack that
1: yeah so that was the last thing that my dad told me before i served my mission um before i like got on the plane and like left um his last piece of advice to me was let the elders serve you and i just was like Okay. Like, I don't know what that means, but (laughs) sure. And, um, you know, it, it was really interesting how that advice kept coming to my mind, um, throughout my mission. It was like anything from, you know, just letting the elders come and deliver the pamphlets that I needed rather than me driving myself to the mission office and picking them up, allowing them To provide that service for me, um, just really helped them live up to their full potential as, you know, elders and priest holders and um, men that also wanted to serve just as much as I wanted to serve. And um, when I allowed, the more I allowed them to do those um, little things for me, it actually helped me. You know, trust them and build more of a relationship with them so that when I really needed them and their priesthood authority to, you know, have a priesthood blessing, I felt comfortable calling on them for um, more serious things that I needed throughout
0: my mission. And I mean, is the, and I guess that that principle lives on, you know, even as a Relief Society president, right? Just allowing the elders' quorum to serve as well and and sort of, uh, you know, unifying those two. Those two groups,
1: hands down. I can't tell you how um, how fun and challenging it is to uh, to work with um, the elders' quorum presidencies as you're a Relief Society president. Like, um, you know, when you just when you think of Adam and Eve um, and the different ways that they approached the same thing. Um, yeah. That's really how I see. Uh, men and women working together on councils. You know, like um, Satan came to Adam first, and because it wasn't clearly in front of Adam, he, you know, he was like, "No, I'm not going to do that thing because God told me not to." Well, when he Satan did the same thing to Eve, Eve saw this other perspective, and so she did partake of the fruit because of this different perspective that she had. And so then she had to bring that back to Adam and tell him about this different perspective that she had had. And then Adam chose to partake of the fruit Um, and Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. And I just really see that come alive in councils, counseling with the elders quorum, counseling um, in ward councils is, you know, like we have the same issue or the problem or thing that we want to unite on and women have this other perspective and it's bringing those different perspectives together.
0: Yeah. I love that. Just, uh, and, and I'm curious with, you know, as serving as a, um, as a ward release site presidency, was there anything you did to coordinate or was it with the elders quorum or was it mainly just through ward councils or was there anything additionally you did to make sure that you were coming together as a, as a joint group?
1: this one actually, um, my, my mom reminded me about, she, um, she was like, I just remember you had this mission to make sure that the, the men in the ward felt loved. And I was like, I forgot that I had done that. And one little simple thing that I had done, um, so young, single adults obviously were not parents and, um, so Mother's Day and Father's Day is, you know, different. And this was like, like 10 years ago when I was the Relief Society president. Um, but anyway, up until that point, we ha- I had never been in a singles ward that had celebrated Father's Day. And so as a Relief Society, we actually had kind of like a secret activity And we all went over to um, one of the girls' houses and we decorated sugar cookies, like hand decorated these sugar cookies and like put them in little baggies. And after elders quorum on Father's Day, we like went in and told the um, elders quorum how much we loved and appreciated them. And we, you know, just handed them the sugar cookies. And so it was just little acts of like, just recognizing how much we do love and appreciate the elders quorum, I think helps to build unity within the ward.
0: I love that. Yeah. And then just finding any excuse of a chance to just honor them and make it fun and, and connect that way. Right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I consider myself a mother and I consider themselves fathers. So yeah, it was a perfect opportunity.
0: Is there anything else you did during that time to help the elders feel loved?
1: (laughs) So it, it was more, it's more just like, um, you know, being patient and recognizing that they, um, that they need, um, love and support and encouragement, just like women do, um, men are, you know, beat up on all sides, you know, society themselves. Um, and so just recognizing them individually, I always also encouraged, um, home teaching and visiting teaching was still a thing when I was a Relief Society Mm -hmm. president and so it was always like reach out to your home teacher, get to know your home teacher. I I really felt like it was an equal opportunity for the young women to get to know um, their home teacher, not just the responsibility of the home teacher to get to know um, the the young women that they were
0: serving. Yeah, love it, and this sort of uh, dovetails into the the last principle you sent me, which is love fuels leadership. Is there anything else you would uh, add about just how love fueled your leadership?
1: It, it, that's a, a very deep um, and um, relatable concept, I think, for all leaders. Like, we really do, le- that's why we're leaders, is because we love. And, um, and that's why people um, recognize leadership, is because they feel loved. Um, you know, working together in unity is love. And um I remember the Relief Society president that served just before me. Um she she was like the epitome of um love. And one of the ways that she showed that love was just by simply listening when people were talking to her. And um and you could just see like these like little social pods like congregating around her, waiting to talk to her. But because she would just sit there and listen to the only the person that she was talking to, she wouldn't be distracted by everything that was going on around her. And I just remember recognizing that and um, wanting to be that type of a leader that loved so deeply that um, you focus on that individual and the one that you're serving at that moment. And, um, and that's really what you know, gets us going is gets me going is just the love that I have, especially for the young women that I serve right now, and just their excitement for the gospel and um, their uh, willingness to serve the Lord is just, um, they just feel that encouragement because of the love that um, you share with them.
0: Mm -hmm. So give us a crash course. uh, Obviously this interviews focused on your time as early study president, but, uh, just with your experience with the youth, the last few months serving there, any specific principles that uh, you've been able to apply there in in your leadership?
1: (laughs) Well, this has actually been probably the most challenging leadership opportunity that I've had. Um, because I'm not the president and, um, you know, I'm not the one with that mantle and that, um, inspiration. I'm more in the supporting role right now. And it's the first time I've been in that supporting role in mm-hmm. a very, very long time. And so it's definitely been making me grow and stretch a lot. <laughs> um, just trying to support anything that the relief Sister, or the young woman president puts forth. And this, this girl is amazing. She's 20. She just turned 24 and she's leading these youth. And I don't know, you know, how many people have served in an inner city, (laughs) um, ward before, but there are a lot of challenges that come with that, you know, where, um, it's mixed cultural mixed, um, demographics. Like we, the, um, the ward that I attend goes from anywhere from homeless to multimillionaires and Mm. all meet in the same congregation. And so there's a lot of different, um, backgrounds and, uh, so it's just learning how to work with all these different types of people and, uh, and how that brings us together as a ward and how we we still are able to get the work of the Lord accomplished.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that. I was in a leadership in a inner city ward and man, there's just nothing like it. I mean, it's such a, there's some unique challenges, um, but yeah, you get such a diversity of backgrounds, uh, but I don't know. I just love the the flavor of it all, you know, yeah. of, of being in that, that group and learning from so many and, and, you know, different people get opportunities to serve and lead and, and, you know, it's never really perfect, but Hey, you know what you do your best and lives are blessed and, and then people move on because oftentimes it's more transient, you know?
1: Yeah. And that actually has been one of another like leadership principle that I've, really had to embrace more than ever. I've always had the idea of like, when I delegate something, I do, you know, expect, you know, I, I give that responsibility 100% to that person. And if it doesn't come back at a hundred percent, then that's okay. You know, like sometimes it's okay if things fail, like sometimes it's okay. If Um, the tablecloths don't show up on time or the mustard doesn't appear, you know, like it's okay to still have hot dogs without mustard. The activity is not completely ruined. Um, but giving those people that opportunity to serve is what's really important as a leader to, to delegate and to, um, allow others to serve. And that's something that I really appreciate now as a counselor, being given opportunities to serve and be given responsibilities, um, specific responsibilities to accomplish something.
0: Yeah. Well, the last question I have for you, Megan, is as you reflect on your time in these leadership roles and capacities. How has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ?
1: Mm. Yeah, that is, I think I've become closest to my savior when I recognize how he led, um, how he led with love and how he, um, led individuals, you know, leader, leadership isn't, um, about the masses. It's about, um, the one-on-one interactions that you have. And, um, And you really see that in the life of the Savior. And um, so that's what I try to emulate, is focus more on the individual and um, not so much the masses. Um, And I just, every time I, uh, the more I serve, the closer I feel to Heavenly Father and the gospel. And the gospel just makes sense. It's simple and it's easy and um, leadership is challenging, but, uh, when we rely on the Lord, we are, um, blessed. And I just really, I'm always so grateful for any opportunity that the Lord gives me to, to serve his children.
0: And that concludes this, how I lead See if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. And there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. Remember, go listen to Dan Duckworth's presentation about youth mentorship by visiting leadingsaints.org slash 14.